with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. I am your host, Scott J. Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Now, I am a professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. In addition, I'm a husband and father of three teens. Now, this is a family endeavor. Will played the intro, Kate voiced the intro, and who knows, you may hear from Emily a little later. I'm also an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Collegiate Leadership Competition. I love to travel, explore new places with family, and learn from others. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership and followership, if we're honest. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. I am proud to share a few updates. According to Listen Notes, Phronesis is listed as among the top 3% of podcasts in the world because of you. So thank you. In addition, the podcast has two sponsors. First, Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. My second sponsor is the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. At Bowler, we offer several advanced degrees and MBAs, and I'm confident that there's one that will fit your location, interests, and timeline. In fact, our online MBA is ranked as the number one in Ohio and number nine in the United States. We offer international study tours, a contemporary and forward-looking curriculum, and access to senior leaders and flagship organizations. Learn more at business.jcu.edu. You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Phronesis podcast, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Today, I have an author, a number one best-selling author, and this is Asagud Haptuald. He goes by AZ. He's been busy writing, really, it's gotten the attention of some some really wonderful people. Dave Burkus, who, of course, has been on the program. Marshall Goldsmith, who I'd love to have on the program. Marshall, if you're listening, uh, give me a call. <laughs> but AZ, you've been busy. You've been writing and overcoming first-timer syndrome. So if you would, let's have you share a little bit more about you and your background, but then I'm excited to jump in and learn a little bit more about the book and what you found in your writings. Thank you very much, Scott. Uh, it's, it's a great opportunity for me to be here in conversation with you. I look forward to engage and share whatever I know about <laughs> some of the insights in the book. For those of you who are interested to know a little bit background about myself, I'm originally from Ethiopia. I came to the United States in 2005. I used to be a researcher working for an international organization before I came to the U.S. Uh, I have been a software engineer. I did my doctoral degree in strategic leadership, actually. David Burkus, we were the same batch, and uh, we, we were doing our doctoral degree together, and he also endorsed the book. I have been also a trainer since 2007, I've been serving government organizations, community organizations, 
corporations in the U.S. and overseas. My main focus is transition and transformation. I'm trying to help leaders, especially first-timers, make a smooth transition as a first-time supervisor, first-time manager, first-time executive. I also help organizations transform their organizations and people by transforming their culture. Easy. This is such an important topic, this this first-timers, because it really is kind of an identity shift. When you're moving from you know, a solid frontline worker, someone who's doing the work to an individual who's now getting work done with and through others, that's a shift. I mean, that's a, and I can, and I can see how some people could feel like imposters, could feel insecure. I know I did the first time I was kind of given that role. And so I'm excited to hear what you found in your research and in your writing. What are some themes that that you would want listeners to know based on what you found? You're right. It's a very important uh, theme that we need to really give focus, especially for emerging leaders. Like yourself, I used to be a first-timer, first-timer student leader, first-timer youth leader, first-timer trainer, first-timer business owner. I know how it felt. Yes. Very hard. Back then, I didn't know it was a first-timer syndrome. I didn't know. After that, however, I was traveling around the country, invited by some organizations who wanted to empower their first-timers. That was when my eyes were opened. I could be able to see that this is really important. And I had wished that I had that opportunity where I was supported when I was making a transition. Unfortunately, many organizations, they just promote people and see them whether they could swim or sink. Yes. And a lot of people sink, especially the first couple of weeks and couple of months. What was interesting for me and which actually forced me or encouraged me to write the book was that when I was traveling and also when I was having one-on-one conversation with my coaches and mentees, I realized that this is really a universal thing. A lot of people making their first time opportunity to lead are suffering and therefore I need to write this book so that I could give them a manual, I could give them some insights, tools, so that they could be able to overcome the first-timer syndrome. Izzy, as you're talking, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of really the first book I wrote was with my wife's aunt. And it was for charge nurses. And really the first time a, and and this is maybe a little more more of a historical model in some places now, but they were called charge nurse because for a shift, they were quote unquote in charge. And then they might kind of go back into the ranks for the next shift. So you might be in charge of people that now are in charge of you tomorrow. (laughs) So, but it's, it's really the first time a nurse would move into a position of authority, even for short moments, right? A shift, so to speak. Yeah. But they were given no resources, zero resources on how to get work done through others, how to influence others, how to be successful in that role. And to your point, the sink or swim thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really in some cases kind of tragic how we don't support people to be effective in these very, very difficult roles, right? You're, you're in charge of an ICU for a shift. That's not easy work, especially in the last 18 months. Yeah, definitely. You know, part of the reason is those 
people who are promoting these first timers, they didn't have any help. They didn't know the existence of first timer syndrome. And they were thinking like, you know what, they could handle it, they could swim. But most people, including myself, that I talked to, they suffered a lot in terms of performance, in terms of health, in terms of relationship. Actually, one of my mentees told me that I wish I had known this long time ago. I thought I was the only one. And she felt like she was blindfolded yeah. and put to that position without even any clue about what she should expect, what she should do. You can imagine the, the stress, the anxiety, the frustration, the pressure, the stress. And you know that first impression is very important. Yep. And a lot of stakeholders, the people that you lead, the decision makers and so on, they're watching you, watching you suffer. And yes. they may have that bad impression about how you perform it when you were promoted in that first leadership role. It would have been very, very empowering if you have a book like this one, you just pick and immunize yourself. Think about this, COVID-19. If you got immunized, even if the virus gets into you, you won't be infected. Why? Because you are immunized. Yeah. That's what I've done. I wanted people to just have this book, this resource, read it, prepare before you take your first time leadership role. In that case, you are immunized. Yes, you're going to be afraid. Yes, you may be nervous. Yes, you may be pressured, but at least you know that this is normal and you know that it's going to go away within a week or maybe within days. Because think about this, Scott, experience of people, even people like you and myself, we are learning professionals. We are empowering leaders. If you put me into a new leadership role, I can tell you that. I may feel a little bit nervous or concerned but I know how to deal with that because I had been there before. Therefore, first-timer syndrome is common. The only challenge for emerging leaders is that they may not know that's normal. And also, they don't have resources. Yes, yes. And I love your analogy to the immunization because in, in the coming weeks, I'll probably get a booster. And I'll probably need a booster in, in the coming years, I would imagine that this will be with us for some time. I'm releasing an episode, AZ, which is with Chip Shoba. And Chip, it's really interesting. He was the former dean of the College of Medicine at Dartmouth at Ohio State, worked at Mass General, uh, oncologist, and just a really, but he had this really cool quote when we, when we had our conversation. And it was that personal growth and this personal development, this inward work, it's a mountain with no top. Similar to those boosters, it just continues forward, right? We just, yes. we continually focus on this. And I love that you are getting people on that first path that, hey, you're not alone. Here's a resource. This can help. And this will get you going on your journey. But you're at base camp. <laughs> <laughs> and this mountain has no top. <laughs> exactly. And that's why you, you're right. That's very important. You have to have a booster. You're just beginning. And I actually, I finished the book by providing a couple of important antidotes that are going to help them continue to grow. Because, you know, leadership, you're always on the learning curve. You can't say, you know what? I am now at the top or I'm done. I have arrived. 
You always have to grow if you want to really serve. You have to go ahead of your sheep, quote unquote, your followers, the people that you serve. You can't go ahead and serve and deliver great results without growing constantly. But it's always a good thing to have a booster. It's always a good thing to have that domino effect, that first resource that's going to help you make the transition smoothly. After that, you need to excel in your first-timer position. And actually, you need to really prepare yourself for the next level. By the way, one of the things that I want to empower first-timers and also people who are inflicted by imposter syndrome, which is also discussed in the book, second chapter, is that, look, you're more than enough. You're stressing out yourself. Yes. You can serve. Actually, you can go to the next level. Why are you suffering where you are? You should not even bother and stress, stress yourself out where you are. Your organization, your community, the world needs you and go to the next level. If you suffer here, if you are stressed here, if you feel you're not educated, you are a fraud, and you're not ready for the position you have right now, you are actually penalizing your organization, the people that you serve, because they want you to keep on serving. And I can tell you this, a lot of organizations are starved of great leaders because a lot of leaders are hiding. A lot of leaders are believing that they're not adequate enough. They are suffering with imposter syndrome. Yes. Well, I was watching a really wonderful movie. It's called The Edge of Purpose. It's a documentary. and it highlights, I believe it's seven individuals in different areas of uh, kind of work. So there's an artist, there is an individual who photographs wildlife. And so individuals who are passionate about their work, but in different domains. And this one woman in the film, and I'm not going to get this quote correct, but listeners can go ahead and watch The Edge of Purpose. It's a great film. But she says something to the effect of, I take all those little voices, I call them my gnomes, and I frequently will gather them over to the cliff and then push them off. (laughs) Smart. (laughs) But I thought that was such a beautiful image or visualization of those voices that we all get when we are. and, And you know what? I think, AZ, I think those voices... Speaking of the edge, sometimes in my own work, I'll call those edge experiences where when you get that feeling in your in your stomach, when you get those butterflies, when you don't know how it's going to go or if you're going to succeed, that also means that you're working at your edge. That means that you are developing and growing. And that means that you're kind of, if you consistently feel that, I'm not talking every day, but if over time you're consistently feeling that, you're growing, you're developing right? So I think it's totally natural and normal. And knowing when to push those little gnomes or those demons off the ledge, that's good too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's a great point. Actually, in the book, I talked about the sources for your imposter syndrome. The sources for you feeling inadequate could be, one, the inner voice, the inner critic, which yeah. is the most powerful. And also, other people who may be skeptic about you, some some could be 
hoping to get that position and now you got, they feel like they're better than you. Or some people knew you very well that they think you can't do this or you're not good enough. Yep. And they may not say it in your face verbally, but as you lead them, as you work with them, they may show some verbal, nonverbal, torn expressions that let you know that you're not adequate. And you need to know how to push them off the cliff, whether it's <laughs> your inner voice or those people who are giving you some cues, letting you know that you're not adequate because they're not right. Actually, I can tell you as a, an experienced speaker, every time I have a speech, a presentation, I have that age because it's a good thing, by the way. When we feel that, it's a good thing because I want to serve my clients. I want to go beyond their expectations. I want to give my best. That pushed me to the age. And I like that butterfly, that nervousness. The only difference now and compared to when I was just starting as a speaker was now I recognize the butterfly yep. and I know how to handle it, how to push it on the cliff <laughs> because it's good to have that feeling nervousness it makes me prepare it's actually i go a and most of the time the previous night go to the place visit the place see the stage see the outlets the ports and also reach out to the contact person ahead yes. of time days ahead that butterfly that nervousness that push that age is the one causing me to go the extra mile otherwise i may become complacent i may not yes. go the extra mile to know more about my audience therefore first timers i'm not really preparing them to be complacent i'm helping them hey do your part yes you're gonna feel it you're gonna see some people undermining you or giving you some cues that you're not ready know those but at the end of the day, you can only overcome that first if you work on your mindset. If you overcome the imposter syndrome, develop certain skills, use these templates, these models, and deliver results. Because at the end of the day, if you don't deliver quick results, what happens is that even the people who promoted you are going to start to question mm. whether they made the right decision. Because at the end of the day, they saw your potential, they promoted you. For them to stop questioning you or anybody who is doubting you, you can only silence them at the end of the day. Even if you have some tricks to silence them temporarily, at the end of the day, you silence them if you deliver results. Yep. I, I think it's wonderful. And I love, I love what you said in there about you welcome the butterflies, right? I mean, that's a mindset shift that is... So powerful. And there's a lot in that statement. I welcome the butterflies. I think that's so admirable. Now, AZ, what I want to do is this. I want to get maybe another couple concepts from the book that you would like listeners to be aware of that will entice them to, to pique their interest enough to go to Amazon and purchase. But also, I want to know a little bit about you. I want to know about your path to this whole conversation around leadership and why you've become passionate about this work. What was the spark for you that facilitated that? So a couple more things from the book, and then let's switch gears to you, if that's okay. Yes, definitely, definitely. A couple of things I want to mention is that we talked about the mindset part where you need to know your place. 
Yep. The more you know your place, the more you become confident, the more it boosts, you know, you encourage you to feel that you deserve the promotion and you're the right person. We talked about the imposter syndrome, how to be in charge, to ignore, silence the little voice within. Yes. But I want to also talk about the importance of them to know how to build their team because they are individually too insignificant, too small, and too insufficient. Mm. None of us could be able to do great things by ourselves, especially first-timers. Therefore, actually, I ask my audience, managers, what do you think the people who promoted you expect from you? What what does that measure, the measuring stick they use to know whether you are doing your job or not? Most of the time, I don't get the right answer. My right answer is that it's not about what you perform individually in terms of the kind of things you do individually. That brought you to this promotion because they saw you performing. They saw that you're great in what you do, but they promoted you so that you can raise people like yourself. Yes. Therefore, your success is going to be dependent on the results you achieve by mobilizing your team. Therefore, once you overcome the butterflies, once you push them the cliff, the second thing you should do is how could you be able to build your team? Sometimes they may allow you to hire your your team members. Sometimes they they don't. Therefore, it doesn't matter who is around you. You can really help them quickly develop them. I suggested in the book what you should do so that you could have this team that's acting like a well-oiled machine. Yes. If you have that, you could deliver results. Also talked about the importance of performing, which means how to evaluate performance, how to make your team accountable, how to provide performance feedback. I gave them some templates, how to do it, because one of the challenges of first-timers is that they don't know how to make people accountable. They have yes. been accountable. Now they are leaders. As first-timers, they may become pushover. Of course, some may go the extreme and become bully and yeah. try to drive people. That's not right. You don't need to use, you don't need to take those two extremes. You have to be in the middle, to be a partner, to lead others. And one of the ways by which you could be able to achieve performance by mobilizing your people is not to wait at the the end of the project or at the end of the year to provide performance feedback. You have to give them performance feedback on the fly, on a weekly, on a monthly, on a quarterly basis. And I gave some insights, the kinds of feedback they could give, how to give them the step-by-steps, the conditions, what to do, what not to do. There are a lot of insights like that, tools like that, very practical. By the way, in the book, I didn't talk about background, about what's leadership, how many types of leadership are there, leadership styles are there. I didn't talk about those background information because they can go and read other books. Yeah. My job was right away, I have a couple of diagnostic questions that can help them whether they are infected by that particular syndrome or not, whether they have the symptom. And then I provide to them like up to four insights 
jam-packed with some tools, practical tools, yep. some steps they could take, some strategies and some insights that they could use right away so that they could overcome the first-timer syndrome, make a smooth trans- transition, and also excel in their first-time leadership role. You had some important words in that last passage. I love the word mobilize. I love the word partner. I love the word smooth. Yes. <laughs> smooth transition. But I think that that last word you used, at least that stood out for me, that Excel, right? Can we mobilize others? Can we partner with them? Can we make this a not extreme experience, but a smooth experience? And then ultimately, we all win. We all excel. And hopefully, you're bringing and developing the team around you. And by by doing so, and by them knowing that you care and want them to develop and grow as well, uh, the team is going to achieve results. And so I love your framing of, it's not about you, it's about the team at this point and building that team to, to get somewhere new, to achieve the results. Definitely, definitely. Because at the end of the day, leadership is about... Not, not about you. It's about, of course, your passion, your mission. But at the end of the day, it's about others, whether you could be able to serve them, whether you could be able to take them from point A to point B. Sometimes, you know, we may be carried away and uh, we think leadership is about maybe creating a great team, maybe creating a great system, maybe having great technologies, the budget, the capital, and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, all of these are important, but the team should be able to achieve its mission, which means you have to take them from point A to point B. You have to take care of them, yes. You have to develop them, yes. But at the end of the day, smoothly, you have to excel, deliver results, and take them to point B. If you can't do that, you are doing a disservice to yourself, to the team, and to the greater good, to the organization. AZ, what's the path for you? How did you get interested in all of this stuff? What, <laughs> getting a doctorate and, and the doctorate was in leadership, correct? The first one I had, a, by the way, it's, it's a very interesting story, long story, but I'll make it very brief. And if you have any follow-up questions, I'll answer. Yeah. Yes, my doctoral degree is on leadership, strategic leadership. But I had, my first degree was veterinary medicine, medicine, which I was a doctor of veterinary medicine. Therefore, I had initially this unclear path where I didn't know who I was, what my passion was, what path I should follow and so on. I was just following the culture. In our culture, you are encouraged to become a doctor or an engineer, stuff like that. And I would say all of my family members, my peers, we were science students. But once I was in college, I realized that I really am passionate about empowering others, reaching out to others. And I realized that leadership, was my passion. And at that point, it was difficult to make a shift because of the education system. Yeah. Therefore, I went through hard time until I came to the U.S., did my master's in computer science, and I got the opportunity to pursue my doctoral degree in leadership. But these all started when I was awakened to realize that my passion is leadership, empowering others helping them tap into their potential, maximize their potential. 
that was the reason why I decided to make a shift in my profession, start to be a speaker, trainer, and coach. I'm going to ask you a hard question. I'm fascinated by this. So veterinary medicine, so you had a lot of biology, a lot of anatomy, you had a lot of that type of content, but then computer science. So there's there's this whole other side of uh, the world that we're kind of looking at the, through the lens. And then strategic leadership. That is a really cool, I just finished a book called Range, which is, mm. let's see if I can get the title, how generalists succeed in a specified world or something like that. But you bring a really interesting lens to this topic of leadership. How did some of your studies in veterinary medicine or computer science inform how you think about leadership? Yes, you're right. This is hard. It's tough, but I'll I'll try to explain that. Actually, one of the regrets I had is after attending all of these veterinary medicine, computer science, working as a researcher, working as a software engineer, now making a shift into a totally different field, it was hard. And I thought I completely lost my time, my years. But I realized that actually like the book range talked about, actually I benefited because right now my clients, the the client that I serve, they find some benefits because of my background. When I go to serve organizations, for example, NIH or National Cancer Institute, yes, I am working on leadership programs, empowering them on leadership programs, but I know what they do. I know the jargons they use. I know the challenges they have. I know what kind of stories resonate with them. I I was there. Therefore, I could be able to easily connect with them. I can easily help them see the importance of leadership in what they do. Therefore, I would say that whatever I learned as a veterinarian, as a researcher, as an IT guy, as a software engineer, it informed me a lot because I use a lot of metaphors, things that worked in those industries when I work with clients that are in these industries and they find them very, very empowering and helpful. Well, just that that background and that experience, there's a, I don't know if you've read any Ron Heifetz. Have you read any of Ron's work? don't remember his specific work, but if you mention some of them, I may remember. He wrote a book called Leadership on the Line, another one called Leadership Without Easy Answers. But Oh, I know, Leadership Online, uh, on the Line. I began that book. I didn't finish it, but yes, I, I know his works. Leadership yeah, so he line, has yeah. this, he, he calls it adaptive leadership. But again, he, he came through medicine and is looking at leadership through, I mean, I, I listened to him give a speech once about kind of the biology of leadership. And, and that was absolutely fascinating because as you know, we can look at this topic through history, political science, biology, sociology. We can look at it through psychology, anthropology. I mean, there's so many different lenses. So to bring this the different perspectives that you have, medicine, but then also uh, software engineering, I, I think that's so wonderful because not only, like you said, can you be in front of those audiences and know their world and speak their language and speak in those metaphors, 
but it also has to just bring a perspective. I, I think of systems thinking, for instance. I, mean, I, 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 I can give you an example yeah. uh, that may really confirms what you're saying. For example, yeah. when I talk about diversity and inclusion, I actually give them a metaphor which is really very close to uh, home, which is I use a petri dish, a culture. Yeah. I show them, I can give you, for example, how I present it. I tell them that you know we all are the products of our culture. And therefore, we need to understand other people, whatever they say, they do decide and act, even if it is different than ours, they're helpless. We're helpless because we are the products of our culture. And I give them a good example based on a petri dish, based on a culture, because the petri dish that we use to grow microbials, we call it culture, actually. Yeah. And I show them the picture and I give them a, a simple example. Think about this. You can have two petri dishes, two cultures, totally different. One could be, actually, you can use one bacteria. You could use two different petri dishes or two different cultures. You may harvest totally different microbials at the end of the day, based on the pH, based on the chemicals you use, based on the environment, based on the acidity of the cultures, which means I can use a bacteria to produce a vaccine using one of the cultures, and I can use the same bacteria, the same bacteria, to create a biological weapon. Yeah. The difference? The culture. Yeah. So I use a kind of very practical, very close to what they do as a metaphor, as an example, to uh, communicate some important concepts. I think it's a strength. I really do. I think your perspective on the topic, given your background, and that's just so impressive, my friend. I mean, <laughs> computer science to <laughs> veterinary medicine to strategic leadership. I love it. I really do. Because I think that diversity of thinking is so incredibly important. And that perspective on the world and on the topic is important. And it's a strength. It really is. So what have you been reading in recent months that's caught your eye? Maybe something you've been streaming or listening to that uh, has really kind of piqued your interest in recent, in recent times. In recent years, I had been focusing more on, because these were the areas where I needed to work on, one was empathy. I'm a very passionate person, a very positive person. I may experience a setback, for example, today. It may bother me today, maybe tomorrow, but I immediately deal with this, with that, and I'm always positive. But I realize that people, all people, don't really process, for example, setbacks or challenges That's the way I do. Even if my intentions were good, if somebody comes up to me and tells me about the challenge, the setback they have, I'm always geared to tell them how to overcome that, how to be motivated and so on. And I really, I was struggling to show empathy. In recent years, I used to, I used to really read a lot and learn more about empathy, most importantly, practice it. It was very hard to me because it's not my second nature. Another 
area was growing was uh, vulnerability. I never knew this concept that much in, in recent years until I saw a speech by uh, Brené Brown and I read her book. And I was amazed because in the past we were told if you are a leader, just be bold, you know, yeah. always show and courage and come out and don't share your weaknesses, yep. be strong, stuff like that. But in the 21st century, really people are looking for leaders who are also humans, leaders who could connect and resonate with the people they need. If I act I'm perfect, if I don't share my vulnerabilities, well, I'm not connecting with my audience. They feel like I'm different. I'm not one of them. And yep. you know how hard it is to lead people who don't think that you're one of them. These are two concepts I've been reading in, in recent years. Uh, recently also, I'm curious about the, the great resignation that's happening because of COVID. I am seeing some data and also seeing some organizations making a huge change in terms of telework policy because they have seen that people now work hard actually when they are remote because in the past they didn't want to give them a lot of chances for people to work remotely. Now COVID showed them that actually people struggle to keep the balance between work and life and they are over delivering. Therefore, mm -hmm. they are now trying to change their policies so that even if we go back to work, they want to give more opportunities for their people to have that ability to choose to work virtually. I facilitated some webinars in terms of hybrid, leading a hybrid in the hybrid environment, following latest technologies in this regard, because it's coming, hybrid is coming. We don't expect that everything will be in person or all virtual like it used to be. Therefore, these are some of the things that I'm learning, investigating, talking to friends, colleagues, learning and becoming better. It is. It's going to be really, really interesting to watch this unfold and witness how organizations shift and adapt back to that, that kind of word, that adaptation. It's going to be very, very interesting to watch it play out because at least in my circles, friends of mine that are in environments that have become very rigid again, they're struggling. They're struggling. And, and they don't, you know, why sit in my office so I can be on a Zoom meeting with the person next to me <laughs> in the next office over? But we have to be here. You know, it, it's just highlighting and magnifying some of those issues. And I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see how how organizations fare and and where this where this lands us. There were some things in the last eighteen months that I absolutely loved about being at home, and I'm actually struggling right now, Az. With you probably are struggling with this, at least observing this. I wouldn't say struggling, but the shift between being on Zoom presentations and doing that work versus now traveling again and and travel time to clients and stuff like that. It's really it's been an adjustment back. Yeah. Yeah. And there it's were some coffee. benefits to opening up the laptop, giving the presentation and then shutting it and having dinner with my family. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's why now leaders in the past, if you know your industry change happens very slowly, you can just lead without any, any adaptation. 
you can really be successful with little improvements. But now things are changing very fast, especially now things are changing like hybrid and people now tested how it feels like to work remotely. The benefits of building their relationship, their family and avoiding traffic that drains energy, traveling, line up for security checkup and so on. People saw the benefits. It's very hard now to tell people go back to to the norm. We don't have the same norm now. The challenge for leaders is how do they adjust yep. to the new normal? Yes. And if they don't, they can't survive. They, if they don't, they don't benefit the organization. They're going to suffer in their leadership. And that's why we have a lot of resignations now because there are some leaders, some organizations, they're not adopting. They're not making some shifts, necessary shifts after the crisis. Leadership is all about you going ahead of the curve, understand the new norm that is coming ahead of your people. You need to go virtually there, prepare it for them to survive the crisis right now, outlast it, actually to even thrive beyond the crisis. But some organizations, they failed to survive. They're not surviving and they're not outlasting. They're gone, a yep. lot of them. But some are very, very smart. Those who went ahead of the curve, what they actually did was, yes, they survived, they outlasted, but they're actually leading the pack. Yes. Well beyond the head of the curve. That's leadership. I just got a note from a, a student of mine today who's interviewing at an organization in my community that is well known for its empathy mm-hmm. and for uh, the vulnerability of some of its leaders and for its ability to have a pulse on what the people want. And they've been pretty flexible with how people can work, how people can engage. And really, I know that the workforce has very, very much appreciated that. So it's so interesting to watch it all play out. It just is. And uh, AZ, I hope you will return and we can continue the conversation and the dialogue. Good luck with the book. And I know that it's already done very, very well. I think what's exciting about that is at some point, I would love to circle back with you even in, in some months and just explore what you've learned in the process of releasing the work, what you're thinking about currently, because I think the conversation is such a fun one. How do we prepare first-timers to be successful and have a good experience of leading versus, to your point, the sink or swim model where we provide very few resources, very little education, hand them a PL, tell them the quality scores, and then say, go for it. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, on top of the first timer syndrome for emerging leaders, supervisor, project managers, new business owners, I am working on follow up books for mid level managers and also executives. I am researching, I have seen also in my work how mid-level managers have their own unique challenges and how hard it is to make a shift from a supervision to a management position, especially in the middle. 
and also executives. The, yep. the statistics, the data shows that ex- new executives, they, they quit or they're pushed out or fired within the first month, the first couple of months. Part of the reason is because they're not equipped. And they tell you the reason. They, they haven't given the necessary resources, information, tools before they were given the opportunity. It's unfair to put someone in a new middle-level management position or executive leadership position and expect them to thrive without yeah. supporting them. So I have follow-up books. This one is for emerging leaders, for first-time supervisors. The next book is going to be for first-time middle-level managers. The next one will be first-time executives. So I will come back again and again if you allow me. <laughs> Whenever I release the, the, these books, I'll come back and share. I love it. I love it. We have a long runway of conversations. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And I look forward yes. for the opportunities. You are a great host asking really great questions, sharing great insights and stories. I love engaging with you. And I hope that I'll get future opportunities to come back and engage with you. I'd love it. I'd love it. Well, thank you, sir, for the good work you do. Everybody, you can find information on how to purchase the book or contact AZ uh, if you want to. They are in the show notes. So be well, everyone. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. AZ and I are just really aligned because this is a gentleman with a passion for helping to set up individuals to be successful when serving in formal or informal leadership roles. And I don't know that we always do a great job of that. And this is a gentleman who has been working to build resources to help prepare people to be more successful. That beautifully aligns with my passion in this space. How do we better prepare people to assume these challenging and often extremely complex roles. So AZ, thank you so much for the work that you do. Uh, It's very, very much appreciated. I also, one final thing, and you heard me say it like seven times in the episode, but I do believe there's great value in people approaching this topic with various backgrounds. And I think they can see this topic in unique and different ways. Similar, if you haven't listened to the episode with Ron Heifetz, here you have a gentleman with a training in, as, as a psychiatrist, a medical doctor. And he's looking at this topic of leadership in a very unique and different way, which is incredibly valuable. We need more of that. So AZ, thank you, sir. Thank you for the great work that you do. As always, everyone, thanks for checking in. Thanks for listening and be well. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn, so let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.